listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. Hello friends, this episode is brought to you by Saucy Farm. Located in Wiggins, Mississippi, they're the premier Australian stock horse stud in North America. Proudly standing are Ballandown Zorro, Hayden Satellite, and Stonebrook Finno. Ballandown Zorro has fresh cooled semen with a live full guarantee. Hayden Satellite and Stonebrook Finno have a limited supply of frozen semen. Ballandown Zorro offspring have proven time and time again that athleticism, endurance, speed, and intelligence are just a few of the qualities his offspring possess on their way to close to 200 best playing pony awards. Zorro offspring are also exceptional in hunter jumper and eventing discipline. Hayden Satellite comes from the famous Hayden Horse Stud in Australia and is currently proving himself on the polo cross field. Satellite offspring were awarded best playing horse in international test matches in 2019 and his offspring have now started to make a name for themselves in the jumping arena. Stonebrook Finno is the premier sire in Australia for polo cross. Saucy Farm is near and dear to my heart. By purchasing our two stallions two years ago, Karen and Charles have carried on the legacy of my family and the hard work that my mother put into bringing the Australian stock horses to the United States for the sport of polo cross. All four of my horses are a result of that breeding program, and you just can't go wrong. Saucy Farm and Australian stock horses, the breed for every need. You can find them on Facebook or call 228-263-0930. Are you a polo cross related business? Chucka Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polocrossmadesimple.com. Space is limited. Personal fitness is so important in the sport of polo cross. Although we can't all look like Stefan Harris, we could all be working towards our own fitness goals. I've learned through personal experience that having a community of friends that share their fitness and nutrition ideas and activities truly can motivate others to follow suit. A rising tide raises all the ships in the harbor. Please join the American Polo Cross Association's fitness community today on Facebook groups. It's called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. It's hosted by the APA's Player Development Program and open to members worldwide. If you see Steph Harris, please encourage him to join for abs motivation. Again, it's a Facebook group called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. Get pumped! On this episode of Chugga Talk, you'll meet Jane Marriott and Lucy Grills, inarguably the top two women players in the past two decades, representing Australia in World Cups and World Cup champions. It doesn't get any better than this. We discuss the blueprint for pull-across success. I'm so excited for all the golden nuggets you're going to pick up on this episode. Don't miss a second. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the pull across world by connecting people together and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. How you going? Good. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Are you sitting up? That can't be too bad. <laughs> No, I made it to the office too, so I'm fine. It's funny. Every time I talk to Africans, they've got a generator because there's some storm. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are a little more civilized. <laughs> We've got a storm have- here at the moment. That's pretty crazy. It's been uh-huh. 40 degrees every day, and it's, we've had 
um, 40 mil of rain last night and this morning. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's it's supposed good. to be dry there, typically? Very dry. hot, very dry. Mm. There's a, a cyclone up north. I think it's equivalent to your hurricanes. So we're getting all the rain from that. Yeah, it's, either, it's like Texas. It's either a drought or a flood <laughs> in Australia. That's what I always say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you guys look great. How are you doing, Lucy, with your hip? Yeah, I'm good. Very good. I managed to avoid having surgery, so that was a positive. So, yeah, I've got a couple more weeks on crutches, and then I can start doing stuff, which is nice. That's quick. Yeah, it is. Oh, it doesn't feel that quick. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to... Definitely break some doctor's rules, I'm sure. Uh, I think so. <laughs> so where are you at, Jane? Yeah, where do you live right now compared to Greenwich, where I've been? Um, so I live closer to town and towards Trish and Lyles, so that eastern side of town. Okay. And the farm is still up and running, the homestead? and that's where Yeah, mum right. um, and dad have moved to town as well, but the house, the farm's still there. It's being leased out. Where does Ashley, where do they ride? Where do y'all? So we've, we've only got um, two and a half acres here, but we're next to um, big land, so can ride next door, which is mm. good. And it's not far to ride down to the river. Um, so it's through a few streets and a few obstacles with wheelie bins and houses, but we can, there's some good areas to ride. It's just not necessarily easy to get to, but it works. Yeah, I'm sure it's a big, sad change, right, from what it used to be, having the home. Oh, it's just different. I mean, when I played the most of my high-level polacross, I was only two streets away from where we are now. So oh, okay. it's, it's a really horsey area. The, the, the blocks are small, but there's lots of places to ride, lots of bridle paths, so, and lots of horsey people around. Well, I've, uh, I discovered the other day this Coca-Cola coffee. I know it sounds gross, but... I, <laughs> But I had to, I had to drink some Bundy, and I only drink Coke when, with Bundy. So, cheers! I know it's early there, but <laughs> I've got coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's, on, it's only fitting. But <laughs> well done, well done. This will be for the listeners. This will be the second weekend social. I, I spoke with Jane, and she had a bunch of people in mind, but she wanted to have a chat with Lucy. So normally, I would pick each of your brains individually, maybe Zoom bomb you, heckle you with someone that you know, but we're going to have you both together, which is such a treat. Just, you know, level of play, mental toughness, your histories. Appreciate you coming on and being guests. And I'd love to, you know, sort of catch up and find out what you're doing. Um, so I don't know, Lucy, you start, you, you just tell us what you're doing. I know you've got some stuff going on. With, uh, uh, well, at the moment. Yeah. Not much. <laughs> no, you've got um, the, the planner and the, the training and all that. Yeah, so that's going well. I had actually had a Zoom meeting with one of the girls this morning. So that's keeping me busy and filling my polycross void at the moment because uh, making it down to the field to watch them practice is fun, but it kind of sucks a lot. So um, being able to yeah chat with a few girls and do a bit of coaching and stuff is is nice and hopefully I'll get a few more girls onto it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, not heaps is happening for me at the moment. I've got a little bit more recovery to do and then hopefully get out onto the horses. But um, yeah, I actually don't have heaps happening. <laughs> kind of boring. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, what would you normally be doing uh, as far as the season? It's a few months away, right? 
Or... Yeah, so the guys here have got they've got 24 horses in work now. Um, so there's six of them that are doing our horses, which is awesome because otherwise Jim and mum and dad would be a bit pressed for time. Dad goes in and has a hip replacement on Monday Ooh. after his fall. So then him and I will be battling for the remote come next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So that'll be interesting. My money's yeah. on you, Lucy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. Back me in. Um, yeah, so we've got some very good young people working for us this year, so that makes a big difference. And, um, yeah, they've got some of our good older mares in and our young mares. Um, they just picked our teams for Barristock, so they're all gearing up towards that and um, organising our Aubrey tournament. So we're doing a COVID Cup this year. Um, and all the kids that were meant to be picked to go to Ballarat are actually going to get a game uh, if they still want to. Um, we've just changed the age divisions around and, yeah, hopefully it'll be really good. We only put that out yesterday. And then we've got the silver stirrup and the bronze bit for the ladies and then we've introduced a men's comp um, this year. So we just start planning towards that with our horses but also from an event perspective as well. Yeah, so... Yeah. Only, so it's only 24 horses because it seems like you had a lot more obviously before the sale what what was it before it was 65 oh no so there's oh yeah no there's only 24 in work um and they're all of they're all the ones that are playing at the moment so our youngest of them's probably seven six or seven and then the, the oldest that go through to like lipstick and Hallie, our good mares um they're the ones that are in work getting ready for the season um, and then with COVID last year, we managed to get through our three, four and five-year-olds. So um, they're flying. We actually sold a mare up at Landmark this morning up at Tamworth. Um, she made really good money and went to a camp drafting home. So that's nice to see the breed going and doing um, a few other sports other than polygraphs. So yeah, yeah, it's been quite an exciting morning, actually. <laughs> what would be that first uh, big tournament back for you? It's, uh, <laughs> I guess Hopefully. it depends, but... Yeah. Aubrey. Okay. Okay. Hopefully that's, uh, they told me I wasn't allowed to arrive for four months and Aubrey's three and a half months. So mm. I'll be pushing it. Um, but I've got a very good backup person uh, in that said that they'll play if I can't. So pretty stoked to have Jane in that position. So I, um, <laughs> I'll see how it goes. Look, I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, I'll find out once I start physio, but um, hopefully Aubrey, if not, then I'll aim for Barrister, which is only a week later, but we'll see how that goes too. <laughs> Jeez, has Jimmy been giving you physio tips, or do you don't listen to him? No, I don't listen to him. <laughs> More likely to take Katie's advice than Jim's advice on that stuff. <laughs> cool. So, Jane, what have you been up to? I know you've been sort of on the water a lot, but I know you've got polo going on, and you've got a lot of. Um, well, Ashley who is way more obsessed with horses and polacross than I ever was. She, I can't stop her from having as many horses as possible in at any time. So she's riding track work for some racehorse trainers. She's got a couple of breakers coming that she's breaking in for somebody. We've got horses in. We were going to play, it would have been her first polo tournament this weekend, but WA's, um, we've had horrific bushfires. We've had... There's floods up north. We've got a storm at the moment. Um, the weather called the polo off. Um, and there's also COVID. We've been pretty much COVID-free here in Western Australia. We've, we had our normal polo cross season last year. We've been basically a couple of things different, but business 
as usual. Um, and then Sunday we had a COVID scare. So Perth and the surrounding areas are in lockdown. So we can't wear, apparently somebody said polo was an essential travel. So we weren't allowed into the Perth area. <laughs> so um, this weekend we're sort of just batting down the hatches and not playing polo, which we were pretty excited to do. But anyway, we'll look forward to the next couple of weekends. But I've I had to sell most of my horses. I kept uh, two each for the girls um, and a couple of young horses, which I sort of I've been working on. I've got Ashley's very confident. She's been riding the young ones. She's been playing the young ones. There's just one who's a little bit. He has a bit of anxiety, so I've been working with him. Who he's he excites me. He's got me excited again about playing a bit of polocross, which I played him last year, and looking forward to playing him again this year. So we'll start in June. Okay. Yeah, I see the WA schedule came out. It looks pretty full. Like you've got. A lot yeah, it'll be good. We we really have been so lucky over here, um, and then it'll. But everyone took the opportunity to ride young ones, get young ones going, and so we'll hopefully be full swing and in selection to try again for Ballarat for next year. See what the world brings. You must be so proud of Ashley. Uh, when she was this small, you're at my farm in North Carolina, and she tried to drag my miniature dachshund up the stairs, which didn't work very, very well. <laughs> but uh, she uh, she is a tough little girl, and uh, I can only imagine how. Like you said, she's sort of polo cross crazy and fearless, I'm sure, just like you. And, she is. Uh, oh, she has. I had fear. I had <laughs> life preservation. She seems to have none of that. Um, and she says she thinks what might happen, what could happen, but I wanted to do it anyway, so she does. Um, I was actually thinking this morning we went and stayed and were lucky enough to play some grills horses. I took Ashley over to the junior classic at Albury and she played Laney, which was um, Jim's horse originally, I think. And we were under the loudspeaker and Laney doesn't like the loudspeaker very well. So she was going nuts. Lucy had one end, I had the other end. We're trying to throw Ashley on. She landed in front of the saddle. Everything was going to date. We're in a bit of a panic, but Ashley was just laughing her head off. She thought it was awesome. And she hit the saddle and took off and, then Lucy and I were laughing, but yeah, she has no fear and I am proud of her. I'm proud of Mackenzie and Ashley, but Ashley just, she just takes everything head on and is willing to try the lot. She just wants to do it all, wants to play polo, wants to show jump, wants to ride track work, wants to play polo cross. She's, and how old were you when you played A-grade mum? And how old were you when you played for Australia? And she just <laughs> sets all these goals and I think she'll achieve them. She's, she's really hungry and she works hard. Cross-training with polo, I'm sure, is going to be a huge advantage. I know that you played a lot of polo. When you bring her into polo, will she be the one out front? You'd be the four? I mean, where, where do you typically play? Um, oh, depends what we're playing. I haven't played a lot of polo. I did a long time ago and I... We were always encouraged to play polacross and do everything else, but being a girl, I was discouraged from playing polo. My grandfather was a very good polo player and my uncle played a lot of polo around the world and dad played a lot of polo and we, we could play as much polacross as we wanted, but we weren't, the girls weren't encouraged to play polo. It was definitely a man's sport. 
but I was lucky enough to play with my father and my grandfather. Um, and then I just started playing from there and I went away working for four years with polo and that really helped my polo cross. The number of horses that I rode, you're in a polo saddle, you have to ride better, you have to find ways of getting more out of horses and a big range of um, lots of numbers of horses and I think that seriously helped me for polo cross when I came home and then anything international where you're on borrowed horses to be able to get the strengths out of the horses and find those positives. And if you can't turn left, turn right twice, whatever it takes to find the good things that a horse has. And they all have a lot of strengths. Some of them have a lot of weaknesses, but just find those strengths and use the strengths. But I, I definitely credit polo to so much of my polo cross success. My, my success compared to your success is very minimal, but you were, you were one of my top coaches I've ever had. And I remember you shortening my stirrups and getting me out of the saddle. And then I got into polo for a couple of years and it definitely helped my riding. I mean, not just riding different horses, but you're, I mean, just being up out of the saddle. So um, I could definitely attest to that, uh, having that exposure to polo. But, yeah, uh, balance is massive. I'm these days so many people they spend money on horsemanship and they spend money on horses and they spend money on trucks and balanced riding is something that we seriously lack and is getting more so i think if if we're not balanced on a horse then a horse can't be balanced and if they're not balanced they're not going to do things properly mm -hmm. yeah I, <laughs> I just i remember uh you know you really focused on riding and the horses and um you're sort of a no-nonsense coach, and I, I really, you know, appreciate that. You know, you didn't let us, you know, we might have whinged, but uh, it didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got some good photos of those riding <laughs> sessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucy, have you ever tried polo? No, well, once, actually, had a we had a polo guy come to one of the junior classics at Aubrey, and he bought, like, a big ball for us to hit and... I just struggled big time. Don't think it was for me at all. <laughs> it's probably better that you were pushed towards polo cross. For oh, I think so. <laughs> Wouldn't have made much of a polo player. <laughs> yeah. Getting into sort of polo cross and national teams, What were you on teams together at all on the national stage? Yeah, Jane and I have played together a couple of times and she's also coached me, which I still think is probably one of the best team environments that we've had. Um, but my very first interaction of a team with Jane was actually, I just come, I was still an intermediate and I got picked um, in our ladies team to play against New Zealand, which was the selections for the 2015 World Cup. And me having no idea about any of it showed up um, to Jane's doorstep two weeks before, or a week before, two weeks before our first um, international. And she took me under her wing, mate, let me ride her horses, gave me her best horse to play in the lead up tournament. Um, help get my confidence together. Um, yeah, I, you know, playing with Jane or playing under Jane has been an awesome experience. But um, that that two weekends of competition, and then we obviously both got picked for the World Cup, and Jane captained our team. And yeah, they're still probably some of my fondest memories of playing polo cross. And that very first Australian ladies cap with Jane was still one of my biggest learning curves, but also um, one of some of not so much the toughest polar cross, but um, just being exposed to that pressure and in that environment and then having somebody 
you know, Lauren Saletto and I were only babies in that team and having really strong mentors around you. Um, and in an awkward situation, because there's seven of us trying to get into a four person team. And I think the foundations that Jane as a captain set then um, were really important to the success of the team, but also how it all flowed from there. So yeah, I feel, still think that that experience shaped the way I look at a team and an environment very strongly. Were there styles that were different between the two of you? I know that I just remember WA just being a little different style. I don't know if that's a, a thing, but I don't know. What did, what did you um, see in Lucy, Jane? And I mean, what, or Lucy, what did you, what did, what did Jane help you with in, in those first, in that, those matches that you're talking about? Oh, well, I actually was probably before that. I'd always been since the World Cup when I was a baby and watching Jane, I was like, oh, I want to be her. And then Jim got picked in a team to go to New Zealand and um, I flew over on the Friday night, watched their tests and Jane was playing out of position on a horse that was pretty rough and she just never, ever stopped trying. And I was like, you know, it doesn't matter how bad it gets she just never stopped and then I was always a little bit scared of Jane like I I was like oh I don't know if I can speak to her and then showing up like mum organized with Jane for us to go to her house and I remember showing up and I was like packing my pants I was with Jim and Dave and I was like oh god and I never knew what to say anyway after like the first day Jane was like right let's go and there was just like you said there was the no fuss attitude and it sort of just set the benchmark for experience and I don't know. I think our playing styles are probably not that different, but aside from the field, it was probably all the other stuff, you know, being away from mum, dad, which is obviously my security blanket back then and, and still to an extent now, but yeah, it's, I think a lot of it, especially at that level, we all know how to play polycross, but being able to keep everything, you know, smooth sailing, our head on the right track, um, the environment, it was way, yeah, I don't know. It, it still probably, and I talk about it with, the young girls that I speak to today, it's still one of the most important aspects of success is just that camaraderie. And I don't know, I think it's just her ability to, you know, speak to people and have upfront conversations that allows that. So I think as far as our playing of like our styles, there might be a little difference, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I've just probably always had a bit of a girl crush on Jane, especially playing. But then once I got to meet her, I was like, oh, shit, she's the best. <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah, that's where it comes from. So, Jane, what, do, yeah, what can you say about yourself? Because Well, that was all very nice to hear. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I mean, I've had the same mentors along the way as well. And oh, I've had people, Avis Watton is somebody who I, she came over from New South Wales, played in WA, Annette Radford or was Annette Henry, um, Trish Jones, who's here. They're all women who are tough. Um, they're tough riders. They're strong riders. Um, they're tough players. And for me, and especially like the WA had a bit of a rule on women's polycross for a few nationals. We played in 2002 at Darwin, which is one of my biggest highlights um, was the Sunday at that national. So we won the juniors and then it went on from there. Our women's, our men's, it was a huge day for WA. Um, I think everyone having to travel up there had a bit to do with it. But our women had a, had a run on then for a while where we were strong, like our horses were strong, the women were strong. And I really relate it to 
we don't play a lot of women's polo cross in WA. We don't play our girls against each other when they're juniors. We don't play our girls against each other when they're intermediates. And we don't play a lot of women's polo cross. There's more now than there was. But if you wanted to be good, you had to mix it with the men. And there's two very different styles of polo cross. There's open polo cross and there's women's polo cross. And if you get women that play girls in juniors and girls in intermediates and then girls um, when they're women, they will play a different style than women that come up through the grades playing against men. Um, Especially, I don't believe our juniors, boys and girls do not become physically different until they're men and women. And I think we're doing our women a disservice by playing junior girls, intermediate girls, and then women's. If you if you want your women to be better and learn that men's or open style of polo cross, you've got to let them play against the men all the time. Women that play open competition have to be smarter. Their horses have to be better. Um, we physically cannot mix it against the men. So we've got to play a different style, but we're still playing open. You've got to be tough. I'm a big fan of tough polycross. I love it all day, every day. I hate rough polycross. There's a massive difference between tough and rough. Um, But if you can get women in the women's who play that tough open style and can still play well in women's, um, they're going to be your best women players. And like Sue Gower, who um, played for New Zealand, I when I saw her first, I was like, this girl's a serious competitor. Avis was the same. Um, here in WA, I used to just relish our first chucker of zone women's at zone championships. Like that first chucker, that's some of the best polycross I've ever had to do with. Like I, I used to come up against Christy Crook at the back of the lineup. She always had good horses. I was always lucky enough to be on good horses and I knew if I didn't lift my level, skill level, a couple of notches, I was going to get a touch-up. And people used to come and say they would come out from whatever they were doing to watch Christy and I in the back of the lineup because it was just such a tussle. And my best polycross, a lot of it has been against Christy and I rate her very highly as a a women's player and she's one of the best men around as well, I think. Um, when she's playing at best polycross. So, and Lucy, Lucy's played a lot of open polycross. So that tough, that toughness that you get playing against the men, I think really has helped in the women's polycross. And <sighs> Lucy's like me. She's lucky enough to be a second, third, fourth generation polycross player and definitely horse person as well. People who've been in the sport or been around horses all their lives and all their parents and grandparents, they don't understand how lucky they are. When you get somebody who comes new to the sport, there's things that we know that we don't even know we know because it's just been passed down and it's what you've done every day. Um, So we are very lucky with that generational, with those tools and skills we've learned along the way. Um, And with that comes horses. Like I would never have been able to play the polygross I've played without the horses that I've had like it's a much different game when you're on a on a good sport horse than on just a horse like there's no fun playing polo cross when you've got to concentrate so much on the horse Mm -hmm. and then the ball second like you want to be out there know that whatever you ask this horse to do whether it can or can't it's going to say okay I'll try the minute you've got a horse that says no or I don't want to 
it, it changes the game. So horses are huge, travel's huge. Like Lucy said, she came and travelled here. I've been so lucky in the sport of polo cross to have travelled all around the world and be lent people's horses. Some of the best horses I've ridden have been around the world. And you'll get them as you go along. And that's why when people come to us, I'll give them my best horse. I'll give them whatever we've got. Like, uh, did you get to ride Plucker when you're over here, Ryan? Oh, yeah. I got to stick yeah. in balls. So, like, I, just, I yeah. want people to feel that. I want people to see... Um, like I've read, I wrote Hallie, the black mare of Lucy's as a three-year-old. I went and played her in a competition at Albury. And then I was lucky enough to play her again in the silver stirrup. And I just, having those experience changed my game. And I love having people over the years, we've had so many people from different countries, states, everywhere that have come and we'll give them whatever we can to ride. Um, so they can go home and then say, okay, well, now I've got to make something play like that. And you probably take it for granted as well. Uh, here in the States, we don't have necessarily horse trainers. We have players that will train horses, but uh, we just don't have a big depth of that. We have you know, horses. We finally got some stock horses. So I think that, that um, that's a deficit for us. We don't have people training and selling horses. So we sort of figure it out on our own. Yeah, and I just... But when I picture you playing, Jane, I, I just picture you sort of just kind of you're kind of cruising down the field. You may, you may not always be going the, the, the top speed, but you're making your moves at the right times. And like you said, having that I always say women are just better riders, more finesse. They, you know, they, they get to the ball instead of having to reach out eight feet. They can get the horse to the ball. I mean, having a having a brother. Do you think that had an influence or did, were you beating um, Jeremy up at a young age? <laughs> Sometimes, mostly he was beating me up. Um, we weren't allowed to play polycross until we turned eight. And when Jeremy turned eight, then I was allowed to play too. And I was only six. So there was a fair bit of contention that went on with that because he had to wait until he was eight. But no, we, we sort of learnt together and played together and rode together. He was always more passionate than me. And I, like I said, Ashley has no fear. I had fear. I will never go as fast. I will only go as fast as I need to. I explained it when I was over with you guys in, in America. Like, There's a difference between some players will cruise around until they get the ball and then they just turn into crazy people running around everywhere. Whereas I like to see the, the better players and those elite players and the ones that I look up to, they go as hard as they can and be crazy people until they get the ball. And then they cruise. Like if you, the difference to me between a, a good player and a great player is someone who can make calm decisions under extreme pressure. So if you're in that um, last two minutes, you're two goals down and you're, if you can make calm decisions, you have better chance you'll make the right decisions. So what influences that muscle, that, that mechanic for you? I mean, obviously it's experience. I don't know, just being in enough top-level games has done that for you or is there something else that you can identify? No, I think just experience. I was, I never got to play junior polo cross at a, at a nationals or anything because WA didn't have a junior team. As soon as I got to juniors, they didn't send a junior team. So there was a real gap in that age group. There was Christy Crook and there was myself. And then we got to under-21s and they, they only sent an open team. They didn't send a mixed or a, or a girls. So... 
Christy and I had to mix it with the boys. And so we were in the under 21 open. I was 16 and Christy was 17. And they laughed at us when we turned up at nationals with two girls in their team and especially two young girls in their team. And as an intermediate, I had serious performance anxiety. I had serious nerves um, and I would explode if things went wrong. Um, and I see that a lot in our intermediates these days and I'm okay with that and I tell them it, that's okay. If, you can't teach that. You cannot teach that passion. If, people, if it means so much to people and they, they get to where they explode, it, it just shows the importance to them. They just need to find a way to channel it. And, it, and it's a learned practice. You have to find breathing ways, find positive ways, find ways to channel those nerves into positive energy. And it, it took a lot of time. Like I played a lot of um, representative polycross with my mum. Um, and my mum and my dad are, are probably my biggest influences. My dad... Um, was always my idol. He played a very calm, very cunning style of polycross. He would always go the easy way. It was not so much fun to play with because he was always right behind you, Jane, but not necessarily helping you. Um, but he, he was Australian captain. He was amazing on the field. Um, he also had very good horses, but um, but it was my mum who was the horse person and still is. Like she's um, in her 70s, she rides every day, she still has my kids, she comes riding with us, she helps Ashley with the breaking in horses. She's a phenomenal horsewoman and she's definitely had a massive impact on me. But, yeah, I, the, the calmness comes with or confidence comes with preparation and if you've put in the hard yards and if you're... There's a big difference between cocky and confident. And if you're prepared, if you know you've done all the work and your horse is ready because you've done all the work on your horse, you'll have confidence. And there's all of you will, everyone who plays polacross will think of a game where they had their best game and everything seemed to slow down a little bit. Um, and it was easy. You had time to get to the ball and time to think of the right decision and if you can find ways to replicate that every time you play, then your game's going to get better and better. It's when we fizz and there becomes a bit of static between us and our horse and our teammates and everything is when things go wrong. But if you can keep it calm and keep it, um, just make those the right decisions, then you'll get better and better. And find ways of getting that game, that way of slowing things down, um, yeah. find ways of finding that again yeah i've gotta i gotta ask you lucy because brother said that you had two games in the world cup the first two games that you weren't very happy about and no one wanted to talk to you because you were you had you were you know in your head and then you killed everyone the last few games so what was going on in your mind because you know how to harness i don't know i might call it adversity i don't know just uh, yeah. obviously you're prepared but yeah what was going through your head and i think you know like you go into something like the world cup and and learning from 2015 and having expectations of where you want to be and how you want everything to go and when it doesn't go that way um you know you have to wait four years to turn things around and 
Um, going like I, I was reasonably happy with my first game against Zima. I was like, oh yeah, that was good. You've got the win. Everything was good. The team was good. Horses went well. All of that sort of stuff. Went into the second game against the US, and um, I remember thinking at the end of the game, Lauren Saletto had the most amazing game. She was unbelievable, and um, sort of I feel like the other three of us girls were kind of passengers to Loz that game. She just absolutely nailed it, and I. I was riding my young, like my, my horse that I drew and she did a few things that frustrated me. And then, you know, that when I came off, I think had it have been someone else's horse, I wouldn't have even thought second, two things about it, but I came off and I was a bit annoyed. And then I went home and I got in my head and I was thinking about it. Um, and we had a few conversations within our team and I was like, you know, being, being the vice captain and having that feedback and having to work through it and think about how we can make it better for everyone. And, um, where to go to and I was like I was so much in my head and I remember waking up at 5 30 on the, the more like our, the morning of our day off and going right I was in the bathroom and I'm like right what am I going to do here anyway we went to practice Beth had the most horrific accident with Abbott and I think that just put everything into perspective um, Beth ended up snapping a bone in her foot and having a reasonably big concussion mm. and I was watching not only a teammate, but a friend of mine go through something where she wasn't going to probably play the next game. And depending on how everything went, maybe not for the rest of the world cup. And I think that moment of perspective and um, reflecting on how things have, how I was frustrated with my own performance. Um, I sat in the bathroom again. I like to do my thinking in the bathroom for some reason. In the it's a nice place to be. Don't get annoy you. Um, and I just, I don't know, it was a bit of reassurance of, uh, you know, I've just had 40 horses in work for four months. I have practised every day, if not every other day. Um, I've done all the work. I've been lucky enough to be able to play Suzette's best horse and I've got a very good horse of my own. I was like, what? You know, there, there literally couldn't be anything worse. The only thing that could change is if I was in best position. So I was like, you know what? I've done the work. I've done the preparation. I've got a really good opportunity here. I know I can play polo cross. Like I've been doing it since I was six. And I think once I took that pressure of trying to make everything good for everyone else and off my shoulders and we're like, you know what? There's just the three of us. We've got to do this for Beth. We've got to do it for the rest of our team. And we've got to do it for everybody who's supporting us. And it became more about just play the ball, play what's in front of you. Um, that game against Zambia under lights was probably one of my favorite games I've ever played. And, you know, we, it was really tight. I've watched it a few times. It was like eight, seven at the end of the third chucker and we ended up winning by a lot. And I think just that momentum and that shift in my thought process um, during that week. And I, I don't think had that have been four years earlier, like Jane said, I wouldn't have been able to turn that around in that time frame. You know, literally talking about a matter of a day of going from not doubt, but frustration with my own thoughts and trying to handle everything that comes with being like I'd never been a vice captain of a girl's chucker at that level and handling that sort of input and discussion and things and you know I think the maturity of that and especially our experiences with the 2015 World Cup not going the way we wanted it to um, all of that sort of fuels the fire for those four years to learn and grow and do the work and I'm, and I'm not even talking about those four months beforehand but the four years and pretty much 
that every time you go down to the practice field, there's something that you want to improve on. And I even have these stupid games, like when I'm at my house and I put something in the microwave, I've got to go around and get my plate and my knife and fork and my food and lay it all out on the table and have it perfect before the microwave goes off. And it's just a little stupid exercise that I play to make sure that my hands and my, my mind can be slow while there's a time pressure on me. So I don't know. It's just a little stupid thing I invented after that, but it's, I guarantee you it helps me be able to function better under pressure. And I think like Jane says, you cannot teach those, those moments. They're just things that you get to be experienced. And, you know, I think you can either be there and be like, Oh, it didn't go well for me and even disregard it, or you can learn from it. And some of the biggest learnings I've ever had are from the biggest beatings I've ever had. And that would be the, the semifinal at the world cup. Like that was one of the most, difficult games that I'd ever been involved in and my uncle took photos after that game which mum has on her computer and I looked at them maybe through six weeks before we went to the world cup and it was just a little reminder in the back of my head that that was a feeling that I'd done the work to avoid again and I didn't want to go back there and I really enjoy that psychological side of sport and it's something that hopefully I can you know enhance my skills but also learn and be able to teach other people about because I think when you get to the top level everyone's good everyone is a good player they're good on the ball they've got the good horses but it's those one percenters that make the difference and wherever you're looking at it from whether it's your mental perspective or whether it's strength or fitness or whatever it is that you want to take into being your one percenter whether it's one or multiple of those things they're important to improving the game and I think if we can encourage everybody and especially our elite players to build on those one percenters, we build the game across the board and we have a better product at the end. It seems like you've really, you haven't left anything, um, any rock unturned as far as parts of your game. And it sounds like at the world cup, you sort of forgave yourself maybe because, you know, you were frustrated with yourself and then you realize that you've done all the preparation so it worked out pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It was, it was one of, yeah, it was a great experience. And to be able to do that in front of our own country and, you know, be able to be lucky enough, you know, it wasn't a horse that we'd bred, but it's a horse that I've done a lot of the work with. And, um, yeah, it, it, those sort of things um, at the end, of, like winning the World Cup is an experience that is like no other. Um, but it's, it's you know, those little kids that come up to you and they're like, that was such a good game, you know, those things and, you can just see the joy on their face that they get out of watching us play a game that we love is exciting. I love that. It's cool. Jane, have you had a uh, moment like that where, I mean, probably not a lot of adversity. I mean, in world cup, you've had adversity, but not that much, right? I, my first women's competition was in Narracourt in 2000 and we lost the final 31, eight mm. in eight chuckers. So at the end of the first chucker, when we came off, it was eight nil. I still remember every chucker of that game and every play and every feeling I had with it. And at the end of that game or final, so it was on the centre stage, it was in front of everybody, 31-8. And I refused to let that ever happen to me again. And I think I remember that game more than any win or any highlight or any anything. It just... I was either never going again or that was never happening again. 
and Darwin 2002 was the next nationals and we won, the WA women won for quite a few years after that. Um, and I can tell you it feels a lot better to win than it feels to, <laughs> to lose. Um, but that's a massive one. And then same as Lucy, the um, semi-final at the 2015 World Cup. Yeah, there was so many things that like, we had a good team and good people. It, but the team's got to come first. And I think everyone did the best that they could do, but we made quite a few mistakes. And, and I made quite a few mistakes. And I will always be disappointed in that. Um, but we can't change it. And going forward and these guys like Lucy and the team getting that cup, um, we just got to get it overseas. <laughs> right. We've won it at home a few times. We've we got to win it overseas, which it'll come. It's hard work. It's keep going, keep doing it. But um, one thing Lucy said when she just remembered that she could play polacross. She's played it since she was six years old and that's a massive thing and I say that to everyone when they get all nerves because they're at nationals or they're at World Cup or whatever, it's just polacross. It's still polacross. All the hype that comes with it is different but when you're out there, the game is the same. You just are playing polacross and getting that mindset I think makes a big difference to people when like Lucy said, there are so many good players, especially like in Australia, you're lucky if you get picked. I was lucky to get picked originally and then you get a bit of exposure, so your name's there. But there are so many good players. We have a lot of depth in our country of men and women, especially women. We've got big numbers that play the game. Just remember that you can play, that you're just playing polo cross and do the best that you can do. In this Pull Across Bible podcast, I don't know if you heard it, but they were trying to get me to say what's the best playing country. And of course, I sided with Australia because of your depth, right? You could put together so many teams to play a World Cup. Um, so I'm curious, you know, one day you're going to get that win at, at World Cup in Africa. Um, but will that be as fulfilling as winning on your home turf on your own horses, Lucy and Jane? I mean, I don't know. How's that going to, I know it's going to taste really good, but at, in the end of the, at the end of the day, they're different horses. It's a bit of a different style. I mean, until Australia is playing full, you know, until they've totally gone African, which I don't see happening soon, uh, they're different games. So what's going to be more fulfilling, do you think? Both of your opinions. Oh, for me, any win's a win. Um, and if it's a World Cup, <laughs> I'd take it on home surf or away. I'm happy with either of those. Um, but there are different styles there's there's the ball sport or a horse sport and the ball sport people say they move it quicker in the air yes they do but they're quicker on the ground because of that that ball movement in the air it makes them quicker to the ball quicker on the ground and that's one thing we need to improve on and I don't I'm not a fan of it I'm a horse person um, and I'm a horse sport person but until Australia adopt the overhand, win it overseas, then take it away from the sport, it's not going to change. Um, that's my opinion anyway. Yeah, I think like there's, you know, there's the poetry around winning it at home and Jane's experienced that, winning it in front of your family and you've got, you know, the, you saw the crowds at Warwick, you've got all of those people there and, and being able to have your own horses. I think we had that luxury that, you know, the first two World Cups in Australia didn't have, but... Um, I think having lost one in Africa and not, you know, having 
people have those excuses that, you know, I've, I've heard it from people that they think the only reason we won is because we're on our own horses. And that's people's opinion. That's fine. At the end of the day, we won it. Um, it would be nice to prove to people that Australia can compete um, with our hybrid style. I really like the style that we were able to play at the World Cup. We used our horses to the best of their advantage, but we also were able to save a lot of horses by infusing that bit of um, African style into our game. So I'm really excited for whoever gets to go to the next world cup in africa to see how they handle it how they manage it um but tasting that bitter bitter defeat over there i think it tastes quite good if we were able to win one on their horses on their soil too yeah well, sure, well yeah i think I don't know, it was a jimmy that was telling me that when he he was playing international match against south africa and he was sort of he's like we can't be friends during the game and that change when he got to, he changed his mindset to just having fun and, and didn't think about that rivalry as much. And I'm sure you've got yeah. some, you've got that tug and pull where you're not necessarily friends when you're playing against each other, but you're rivals, but you, you have a mutual respect. So have you gone through that with them? You know, I think about Graham and Natalie and I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel playing them? Uh, so I think that was another big change in my mindset. Um, 2015, I was a bit like that. They were, they were the enemy. They were the World Cup winners. They were the ones to beat. And I think I approached it maybe with the wrong attitude. Um, and then come 2019, I, I, you know, it's just a game of polo cross. And I managed, like I marked one of my best friends in the, world cup final and she fell off and we still talk about it today like that you know and I'm sure if I fell off would be the same but there's that level of care there that I don't you know for me I don't have to play the opposition and have them as the enemy to play well I, th- I actually think the reverse for me um, and it's just when I have a smile on my face and I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm enjoying playing and there's not that built up angst around you know who you're playing against um I play for me I play so much better so um I think that was another big learning from 2015 to 2019 and um you know if you could have hindsight we might not never have known but it um you know I think that kind of thing for me has been a game changer it um when I play with that freedom and just enjoy what I'm doing and enjoy who I'm playing with and against it seems to be better for me so they, they are undoubtedly, you know, in 2015, they, they were the best in the world and they played like it. And even in 2019, they're phenomenal players and they've got skills that, geez, I could only dream of. And to be able to have learnt from the likes of Graham and Nat and especially Bruce over the years, um, I couldn't personally thank them enough for what they've taught me. So it almost seemed a bit <laughs> crazy to be, you know, like that. Uh, got to beat them it was nice um yeah it was you know it's nice to go over there and play with them and learn from them and you know the relationship between our families especially is really good and you know we get a lot from them and you know I hope that they can take some stuff away from our game because at the end of the day all you want to do is increase the sport across the world and if you know sharing information and sharing ideas and thoughts and everything like that only helps our sport grow and I think that's probably the most important thing is that we have a sport that is going places and I think the level of play from 2015 through to 2019 and and I'm I'm gathering what we'll see by 2023 will be 
it'll be amazing. You can uh, you look at the likes of New Zealand and Ireland and the improvement on those guys um, throughout that four-year period is huge. So it's really cool that the whole field's tightening up and you're not going to go to a World Cup and expect to win anything. Like you've got to go there with everything, all guns blazing. And I think that's a nice spot for our sport to be. It took me a while to come around to it because I left the sport in 2012 for six years and in that time we adopted the overarm and um, I was, you know, I wasn't too accepting in the beginning. And, um, but it took me a while to realize that at that, at the world cup level or the international level, um, why not just be good at every style and be able to adapt. And it seems like that's what a lot of the players are doing. You've got a lot of experience with the high goals. Um, But back to um, negative energy and it seems like, you know, you talked about being positive and when you feel that way and you're happy. Um, we have our World Cup player, Megan, um, Megan Swift, Meg, used to be Megan Wagner. They call her the smiling assassin. So she's having a lot of fun out there. Jane, do you see a difference in players when you're out there that might separate them from the top when they might be thinking about sort of negative plays? I'm not just talking about cheating, but the attitude on the field. Do you notice a difference? Do you feel like that that keeps a lot of people from getting to that next level, thinking about negative plays? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, And I love when I'm going out to play against somebody who I know is like that, because if you maybe accidentally (laughs) tap them on the arm or um, maybe upset them accidentally somehow, you know that their standard is going to drop. Like some people, I know a couple of people who once you get them fired up, they turn into these freaks who just get better and better and better. But then there's so many people that you know if you tip them over the edge, their standard will drop. And it's like when you're at school and you get the relief teacher and it's just to see how, how quickly you can, the class can upset them. Um, it's like that when you play against some people. If you know that they're like that, that me- like mental toughness is ma- massive. Um, and if you can upset people early the ones that don't go well when they're upset, then you're winning. And some games you can win before you even get on the field. You can psychologically beat people before the first lineup. Um, and if you if you can do that, then you're halfway there already without playing. Um, it's that's my biggest separation from the great players and then the elite players. Like the best of the best, they've got that mental toughness focus in any sport if you can remain focused no matter what happens those are your best players Um, one of my all-time favorite players is Troy Henry Um, he was versatile he could play any position any horse he was resilient he didn't change much he didn't say a lot Um, but when he did open his mouth it, it all made sense and he could change games by one comment um, to your team like, and I've played a lot with Troy and I've had him coach and just that ability to remain focused and stay positive and just dig deep and play your, your best pull across um, that's what makes I know so many people have got amazing skills and they're great A-grade players they just can't take that next step they can't go to nationals they won't make Australian teams because that once that pressure is loaded on they can't cope with it. Mm. Um, as far as negative, as far as 
cheating, that sort of thing. If you're concentrating on that, you're not good enough. Yeah. Yep. If you're good enough, you'll be focusing on the ball because the best way to beat somebody is to get the ball and score goals. That's the greatest defeat. Yeah, so along, along the lines of you're talking about the ability to stay focused and stay positive, uh, do you find a lot of these top teams that most of them are sort of leaders and, and there's sort of this, I don't know, everyone sort of had, has that leadership because of their mental toughness, their attitude on the field? Um, or do you find that there are some people that just sort of fill a role and stay quiet? Um, the, the, it takes everything. And in a team, it takes everything. In some teams, depending on what levels you're playing, you've got your 10 percenters and you've got your 90 percenters. You've got some people that are doing all the talking, all the directing, most of the playing, um, and some people that just, no matter what they do, they can't not be near the ball. Like we've got some players where I just say, you stay with that person because if you stay with that person, you're going to get near the ball. Just, just stay with them. Um, a, a, a very extreme example of that is Rob Sibley. Um, so Robert was New South, plays for WA now. He has the most amazing ability to stay positive and stay upbeat and focused and tempo, and he will carry a team with him. Like he, no matter how negative people get, he can pick them all up and carry them with him. And he keeps them positive, keeps them going. And he's a phenomenal player as well. But his positivity and passion um, to win is, is commendable. Lucy, did you find, how did you find the last World Cup team? I mean, you were co-captain, but uh, were there sort of role players or, I mean, were a lot of the players in that, what, Jane was talking about with Sibo and no I think like our team for 2019 was a really nice dynamic we had a really nice group of people and we'd spent a lot of time together like you know we we'd gone over to Zambia together we'd had that experience and we we've all we all know each other really well um so I think the communication and the ability to say what we needed to say to get the best out of who we need to get the best out of whether it's ourselves or our horses or you know changing things by one you know one dial or whatever it had to be um was a real positive in that environment and i think you know we had everybody did their role and that was what you know wills like i I love to use will as an example he is undoubtedly one of the best threes in our state in our country and he went to that world cup and played the most phenomenal number two role and was a workhorse for the team and he took that role on his shoulders and did it without any question and he was brilliant like you know Lance had the back Will's like a robot you say go out there pick up the ball take it down run into three people and pass it and that's exactly what he does he says right I'm doing that whatever you tell him he's amazing so like he was a, a really good example of the kind of environment that we made managed to establish. And I, I think that's due to the amount of time, the travel that we had, you know, we had the lead up against Zambia, we had the lead up against New Zealand. We had a lot of time um, and experience in pressure situations to be able to communicate effectively, to then have a plan set that when we got to the World Cup, we all knew our role and we all had our jobs to do. And I think, you know, that's another factor um, that was really helpful and it was yeah it was something that we um 
we were lucky, not lucky to have, because I think we worked really hard on it, but it's, it was really good. I, I thought it was really good for us um, in the, in helping us win. So yeah, communication and, and being able to know your role and play your role and realize that it's about the team and it's about the common goal of getting the job done. Um, yeah, it's huge. Would you say that there's a lot more, we call it parity in, in sport here you know, usually there's a lot of, there's some teams that just win everything every, every time, but there are some years where it's a lot, low, lot more level playing field with Queensland, with the women, women winning their first nationals. Do you think there's a lot more parity in the women's game now? Is it spread out or, I mean, I, I don't know. What do you guys think for the ladies? Yeah. Well, I think, you, you know, you look at the last few nationals, we've had different winners every time. So um the the standard of play in our women's is is strong um and i tend to agree with what jane said earlier about um our women playing men's i was i grew up doing that i played in our a grade from when i was 14 because we didn't have women we had two and a half teams in our club and dad gave me his best horse to play and i played men's from when i was 14 through till now i probably play more women's now than i ever did um and i think that possibly my style of game has changed and I'm not hundred percent sure, you know, like where, where it stands, but I had somebody come to me when I was 17. So it was my first year of intermediates. And this woman said to me, she said, you'll never be a good women's player while you keep playing men's. And I said to her, I was like, well, I would politely accept your um, (laughs) comment. I said, but I don't agree. And I don't have an option not to play men's and I actually love playing men's. So I'm just going to keep playing men's. And anyway, this lady actually came to me a couple of years ago and said, I might've been wrong when I said that. She remembered. (laughs) Yeah, she remembered. She definitely remembered. And I said, I I, I said, you're more than entitled to your opinion, but I, you know, if I hadn't have had those exposures and all of that, it wouldn't have made me the women's player that I am today. Um, And I think that, you know, it's happening across the board that maybe our numbers are, well, I know in our zone, our numbers are falling. So we're being forced to play men's more. And as people move around in the country and we get new players in different states and we're exposed to different people, the level of women's polo cross has definitely stepped up. And that's why, you know, I think come 20 next year, 2022, when we go to Ballarat, I think the Vic women are going to be very hard to handle down there on their horses. Um I've spent a little bit of time down there in the last couple of years and they are flying. They're playing a lot of men's polo cross. They've got really good young people. And, you know, I think you might even see another winner of a women's coming up because that it's just the standard across the board is grown. And I think it's due to the fact that we're playing a more men's polo cross, especially in New South Wales. Um, the women's is sort of not as strong as it used to be. I don't think in our own state, um, but you know, we have the opportunity to mix and match with men and women and learn and grow and develop. And yeah, that's where I, I think it's been good for the whole sport. Yeah. Do you think that there, um, there's a lot more interstate play going on because of Veristock and some of those bigger competitions? Um, it's not just nationals. Do you think maybe that, you know, there were sort of bubbles where different states kind of stood alone and then you might see them at a nationals. Do you think they're crossing more or? I mean, in your day, Jane, was there a lot, was there less interstate travel? Oh, it's, it's hard for us because we're so far away. I think there's always been a bit. There's been the Sydney show. There's been 
tournaments where the Vic Queensland and New South can um, mix and match a bit. And I know some of the Vics go up to the lower New South tournaments each year. And uh, there's definitely more. There's more money in the sport. There's more players in the sport. There's more opportunity to have those state of origin type and Barristock type tournaments. For us, there's, we used to pick and choose which nationals we might go to, and now it's every nationals. Um, and I also believe there's too many grades at nationals. It's basically in WA, it's here's a shirt, you're playing, and here's another <laughs> shirt, find someone to come with you. Um, like there's, there's so many grades, and it's meant to be the elite of the sport, and I think we've diluted that a bit by having mm -hmm. three junior grades and three intermediate grades and men's, women's open, they wanted to have second division. And I, I don't believe at nationals at your elite competition, there should be a second division. If you, I'm, I'm a big believer in honesty and honesty in yourself and honesty on what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. Lucy touched on it before. Your strengths, really know what your strengths and weaknesses are and improve on your weaknesses and, um, and keep working on your strengths. But if, if you don't make a team, you weren't good enough. It's as simple as that. I don't know any selectors that go, you know what, that person's the best player, but let's not put them in, let's put someone weaker in. That just doesn't happen. It yeah. doesn't happen. And too many parents and too many friends say, oh, you should have been in that team. Like you're definitely good enough or you're as good as the last person picked maybe. I was very lucky to have parents that said, you were not good enough. If you want to be there, you get better. If you're one of the top three in a team of six, they won't leave you out. There's not a chance. So you work harder, you get better, and then you get in the team. Um, by having so many grades, we, we've, we dilute across the board. We dilute our men, we dilute our women, we dilute our um, under-21s and then our juniors. We're not making it hard enough for people to put the hard yards in and work harder and get better. Um, for the sport to grow. And I really believe our standard has dropped. It definitely has in WA at the moment. Um, and I think across the board a little bit. We, people have got to work harder to, to get the um, prestige and reward and the honour of playing in those teams. Why did they add all the extra divisions? Oh, so people who didn't get a game can get a game. Is it a revenue thing? Uh, I mean, it, I mean, it's also a money thing. So that's yeah. more, more register, more player fees, more um, uh, money over the bar, over the yeah. canteen, everything. Um, but the sport has suffered from it, I think. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And I think, you know, my parents giving me the advice, um, I was really cut to miss out on a teen one like it was quite a few years ago I was young and it was at a very uh probably like an influential time in my life and they said to me well you've just got to be that good that they can't leave you out and I was like okay like that's what I've got to do I've got to go home and I've got to be better and you know I think Jane talks about her parents being like that and I think that's something I could be very grateful for my parents that they they'll never tell us how like if we're going well you know they're like you know, you've got more work to do. You could maybe do this different. Maybe you should work a bit harder on your horses. Um, we've been lucky to have them, you know, supply us and help breed us some beautiful horses. But they've always instilled the work ethic in us that if you want to do it and you want to be good at it, then 
the only person that's accountable is you. And I think that definitely that that has gone by the wayside a little bit. We make, you know, I don't like to say we make sacrifices because I feel like they're choices. Um, if you want to be good at something and you want to play nationals, then you will want to do the work and you will want to be there. Do you know how many players are in Australia now? Can you give me a number? I, I try to find out through different states, but they, it's like they're hiding their information. <laughs> I, I want to say 2,000, but that's very much a ballpark, and I'm, I, I may just be making that up. <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. In the whole country, only 2,000? I think so, yeah. Our numbers are, our numbers are down quite a bit. Mm. When were they the highest? Oh, I don't know. Don't know. For, for WA, we've had up to 600. I think we've only got 200 players at the moment. Mm. Yeah, well, like just in our zone, when I was in like sub-junior and early juniors, um, we had nine clubs in our zone and we would have 35 to 40 teams every weekend. And now our zone has five clubs and we're lucky to have 10 teams of a weekend. I want to talk courses for a second here. Um, has there been a change in the type of horse recently? I know you both, you know, you both have, some amazing bloodlines and I have to find a gray horse, Jane, <laughs> to find a picture of me on a gray horse. I don't like cleaning them, um, but I've, I've ridden, I played them. Uh, there's a picture of Yanni chasing me on a gray horse, but I actually had one that we owned an Australian stock horse. We brought over um, Belladonna. Um, but is there a type? I know in polo that the, uh, the field game, those horses got taller is, is there any trend with horse types? I, I think for us in Australia, I mean, the game's different in each country you go to, but here in Australia, it's different in each state as well. Like the Queensland play more of a leggy horse. They play a more of a galloping game, a much faster game. Um, there's a bit of a mix of that in WA. Victoria, they, they like to go fast as well. Their horses are a bit taller and leggier. they got to be tough down there too. Um, it's and, and probably New South and WA are more similar as far as um, we still like the leg on the horses, but they're a bit heavier stock horse. New South, it's probably to cope with the fields. Um, over here, we decide to do whatever New South do. <laughs> Um, but and our breed, uh, my breed or my family's breed, my grandmother's mother was breeding horses and then my grandparents and my parents. And so our breed hasn't changed a lot, That I, the horses that I play. Um, of course, it's fine-tuned and the better ones are the ones that we've ended up with. Um, and there's... All, <laughs> I've got three horses in at the moment and two of them are over 16 hands and that's, I get vertigo anything over 15-1, <laughs> so I'm not very brave, but um, it's, yeah, it's, you get what you get um, and we've got, I've got seven horses out of the same mare and one's 15 hands and one's 16-2, aren't they? I think New South and WA are similar. You've got your thoroughbred crosses, your stock horses, some are heavier, but we more and more are getting more leg because you need to go faster. The game's changing. The rackets are getting deeper. Horses have to work a lot harder. Yeah, I play on a 15-3. On a um, uh, I guess that's tall for pole across. Well, I'm only four foot seven. I'm not, I'm a little bit taller, <laughs> but I don't need to be tall. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. What about you, Lucy? What's your preference? Uh, so I was lucky enough to play all my juniors intermediates on a straight thoroughbred mare that we bought called Ravers. Um, and we paid $500 to her. I think dad spoke about it when he chatted to you last time, but she, um, so my grandmother had been breeding horses since 1974. Um, our, our stock horse bloodlines, um, and mum took over from her when we introduced the um, embryo transfer into our stuff, and that was 21 years ago now. Um, and I think the direction that mum's taken with the horses and, um, you know, we look at we're very lucky over on the East Coast to have a very strong performance-based sort of sport in, you know, you've got access to really good camp draft stains, you've got the polo, um, you've got the polo cross, and it's, you know, there's a lot of nice stock horse bloodlines that you, you know from the Hunter Valley or you know wherever it may be that mum's infused into her mum's old old breeding, um, and then also talk about ravers with that thoroughbred, um, and then back over some beautiful stock horse stones. Now that's really formed our young stock. So a lot of people probably haven't even seen. You know, we were meant to start playing a lot of them last year, but COVID obviously stopped that. But our next generation of our young horses is different again. There's a lot of half thoroughbred mares over nice um, stock or stallions that the feeling that they give us when we're training them and, um, you know, they, they vary. Um, we've got two, Jim and I have got one each. They're very similarly bred, but mine's 15.3 and his is maybe 15 hands. And they're almost identically bred. Um, but their softness, their athleticism, their trainability and their heart, I think, is a big thing. Um, they are a really nice blend of something that I think has been a very long time coming. Um, but they're neither, you know, for us, they're probably stock horse cross thoroughbreds. Um, but you couldn't definitively say which way was better and which size was better. Um, you know, we've got full sisters that one we've kept and one we've sold and it, you know, you're splitting hairs when you're keeping 70 horses for three of us to ride. So you've got to be quite picky, but it's just the little things that we like to keep that um, are forming that base of those young horse genetics that I think will be really positive going forward in our own breeding circles. So I'm excited I, I about- I think one of the biggest things you said there, Lucy, was a horse's heart. Um, you can look at a breed, you can look at five horses in the yard and they, you can pick their legs, you can pick their conformation, you can pick their size. You cannot pick a horse's desire from the outside. And a horse that has that desire to do well and desire to win are the ones that you want. They might not be perfectly built, they might not be the right size, they might be orange, which is not my favourite <laughs> colour. But if they've got the desire, then they're the horses you want. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got to ask this question now because you, you've all seen Adolfo, Adolfo Cambiasso's clones, right? So if you had billions of dollars, would you be cloning any of your horses? Or do you like crossing them with other horses and getting sort of that? Ooh, that's a big one. So we, we've been trying for five years to clone Plucker. So we've had, we've had um, the same uh, company that has been doing the Cambiasso horses um, and we've had no success. There's, it's very technical, as you can imagine. Um, we, we don't want to do this to 
spit out 20 photocopies of, of Plucker. Um, but when Plucker was cut, he had a full brother who was younger than him and they were very similar horses in nature, in body. Um, so we cut Plucker and we kept um, Zuma. And then he died. He got a liver disease and died. Um, the mare I play, Matumba, who's been my um, best horse over my career, is a full sister to those two as well. Um, and she's had three colts so far. So <laughs> the, re the main reason we've been trying to clone Plucker is to keep that breed alive. Um, he's the last of it. Well, Matumba's the last of the line. Pluck has been dead a few years now, um, but we still have his um, DNA. But it's it's it has not been successful. But the reason we are doing it is not to photocopy like they have been in the polo, um, but is to um, keep that line that my grandparents worked so hard for um, alive because he Plucker really was the epitome of of that breed. Well, we. Uh, it's been floated the idea of cloning ravers um, and you know mum and I have thought about it but I, I think I'm probably not quite across the whole process as well as um, I should be but we've done a bit of research and, and read about it and I think it's interesting to me and I don't know whether my bank balance would be able to afford to do it um, but we're very privileged in our position that we're able to embryo our mares um, and Ravers has, we've got six of her daughters that we have, we all play. They're in our top string of horses. They're all by different stallions. Um, but the one consistent thing are her traits in them. Um, so it's cool for us to be able to, <clears throat> sorry, sorry, have those bloodlines and those um, mares out of her to breed on with. Um, it's to me, I, you know, goodness, if someone said, oh, I'll clone ravers and I'll pay for it and I'll make sure it happens. I would be putting my hand up for it because to have the opportunity to play her again and now that I'm older and I can appreciate her even more than I used to, gee, I'll, I wouldn't be saying no, I'd love it. But we're also very privileged to be able to play on her daughters and for me that's that's good enough at the moment. Yeah. and I wrote right. down before this, Ryan, I wrote down a list of, I didn't know if it was going to be a question yeah, or not. I was studying for my test. <laughs> I wrote down a list of some of the best horses I've had the privilege of playing um, around the world. And just looking at the list while I'm sitting here, like you asked the question about what style of horse and whether they've changed, other than Plucker, who was um, quite leggy and lean sort of horse, all the other horses are the same bodied, a um, little bit heavier, uh, stock horse type. So Hallie of Lucy's is on there. She's one of the better horses I've played. Rosa of Renee Thompson's. Um, Matumba, my mare, is very similar. There was a horse that I was lucky enough to play in South Africa called School, which belonged to um, Jackie Williamson. She was Jackie Shaw. Um, and in New Zealand, I played a horse called Punga. And they're, they're all very similar bodied horses. they little bit fat some would say but <laughs> I've always I've always liked a little bit fatter horse um 
if a horse has got a good constitution, it'll keep working for you on Sunday afternoon, not just Saturday morning. So, but they're all very, I was just looking across the list and it was, they're all very similar, especially the mares. The reason you, you know, you, you breed from a top bloodline that you, you breed from a Baragoon is, I mean, Jimmy said this, it's consistency. You know what you're getting. You may yeah. pay, you may end up paying a lot more money and fail a few times, but if you have that consistency, you know what you're getting. And like you said, that that uh, that heart that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a certain composi composition, but it's more what they have inside of them and their toughness and their, their mental side. And to be honest, here in the States, we just haven't had enough of a consistent, I mean, our stallion, Balandon Zorro has been very consistent, um, very easy to train, uh, very athletic but we just don't have the depth here. I do know that because of the number of horses you have over there, there you, you might have a little bit of the luxury of turning some away. Jane, you told me about an experience you had uh, at someone's place where they went through a lot of horses to get to those top few. And um, I mean, have you experienced that? It sounds like you haven't, either of you. Do you have a lot of throwaways? Uh, it's a numbers game. Everything's a numbers game. You'll get, even with the best breeding of the best lines that you have, you can you can get a complete camel at some stage where you think the mare's having a, a joke. Um, but it's the same as, the same as champions can come from anywhere. Like good breeding will make good horses. It will. But champions come from absolutely anywhere. One of the best horses I've had and owned was a horse... Um, he was a thoroughbred here in Geraldton. He raced on the Tuesday. I bought him for a six pack of beer. I drank three of those. Um, I picked him up on the Thursday and I played at practice on the weekend on him in a snaffle. And then I took him to nationals four months later. And he was one of the best horses I had. Um, he should not have been a snaffle horse and he should not have necessarily been any good, but he was a sport horse. And I think whatever, whatever discipline you put him in, he was going to do well at. Um, athletes are athletes, but you, the, if you breed good horses from good horses, there's more chance you will get a better horse. Yeah. What do you think, Lucy? What, is, what has well, your experience I'm been? Yeah, very similar experience that, you know, we've obviously been breeding from our certain bloodlines for a long time. Um, but, you know, we went to a racing stables in Sydney and bought Ravers for $500 off. She, she'd never raced, but she's the outlier. You know, she's the one that came into our stud and we didn't, you know, 500 bucks is nothing for a horse in Australia. And for her to be undoubtedly our best polycross horse that our family's ever had and also to be one of the most influential broodmares that we've ever had and for also her daughters to be you know one of her daughters who's a ravers finno favor she is without a doubt our best broodmare um she's been joined to seven or eight different stallions and all of those progeny are great like that you know seven there's seven favor gigolo fillies going around and two of them three of them competed in our incentives this year two of them finaled in the camp draft one came second or fourth and one came eighth you know like their performance based from those good mares but we had no idea when we bought ravers that she was going to be good so 
like Jane says, they can come from anywhere. And it's important that people keep looking outside of those bloodlines to keep increasing our gene pool and make it better because it's for us, she's been an exception to the rule, but she's been a bloody good one. And she's uh, orange. <laughs> <laughs> she's only got one orange daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so Jane, are you going to end up with colored horses? Is that what's going to happen if you don't successfully clone Plucker? Uh, no, I'll stick with greys. All of ours are greys. No, well, I, my two of my better horses have been bays. I'm not that racist against them just orange <laughs> i just haven't i just haven't had a lot of luck with orange um and everyone's this the same They'll, you'll have horses that you've have been better for you and done well for you but in saying that i'm i'm being facetious there's been some fabulous chestnut horses um they just we don't play well together <laughs> you when you take the grays to polo do you have a special um, shampoo mix that gets them grayer or like a blue? We have this blue thing over here, like blue, I forget what it's called. Blue steel or something like that. <laughs> Do you blue have, like, steel, that's a look. <laughs> um, no, because they're all young at the moment, they're a nice dark gray, so they're not yeah. too bad. But um, <laughs> my grandfather always said a white, a white horse is the same as the others. After the first game, they're all clean because you wash them down. But um tomato tomato sauce is good for cleaning white horses i just have a couple questions left and i appreciate this has been awesome i could talk all day all night um and we have plenty of podcasts ahead of us uh, for sure uh, but looking towards the future first let's start uh, with this question uh, 10 years from now the game is changing it's becoming more of a ball game and, you know, as, as Bruce McClarty said, it's it's not just throwing it ahead of someone. It's actually direct passing and things like that. And earlier in the in the in our talk, Jane, you were talking about, you know, rush to the ball. And then when you get it, it's being very smart with the ball. Um, and it, I feel like if it changes to more of a ball game that once you get the ball, it'll become less of the horse and more of the ball. So you could actually be a little bit more frantic. And your ball skills would make up for it. Whereas in the, the horse game, you have to maneuver the horse and be smart, conserve energy at, at times, but play, play a lot smarter maneuvering the horse, which is the kind of game that I like. Where do you see the game in 10 years at the trajectory that it's going? Lucy, do you feel a lot of pressure to beat the Africans so that maybe the Aussies realize that, I don't know, you're still the champs anywhere you go? <laughs> uh no I don't know I want to beat them because I want to win I like to win um it's not so much about proving you know which style is better and whatever I'm very much a traditionalist in that we breed horses and we train our horses to be the best that they can be to help us win the ball and um you know in 10 years time if it is a ball sport I'd like to think that my horses are better than they are now and I'm going to be 38 and 10 years time so I'm going to need a good horse to get me to the ball um, <laughs> you know, I think I think here in Australia that our horses are so crucial to our game and I think I am a genuine believer having played a bit more of the expansive style of polycross that we can have both we can have lovely horses that do everything they do now if not more hopefully our knowledge grows and my training abilities grow um that my ball skills will grow and that I can be better now than I am now. So for me, 
I'd like to be able to have both. I don't, I, I genuinely think in Australia we are able to have better ball skills and better horses. Well, do you think it'll dilute the horsemanship? Some players might, I don't know. Obviously you'll, you'll remain the top of your, your, your sport in Australia with top horses, but do you think some, go ahead. I don't, I don't think it will dilute it perhaps across the board a little bit, but you're still going to have your, your best players are still going to have your best horses. Um, and I like the way Lucy answered that. It's to have both would be great. And and Lucy's played in South Africa quite a bit and so have I. And on on that list of horses, one of them I wrote down was Fancy Steps of the McClarties. And, and they're another family that has a lot of horses and numbers games. So they have some very good horses that you could step out and play the best polacross here in Australia. Um, I think the better, like Lucy said, the better your horses are, no matter what style of polacross you're playing, the better the polacross will be. It's yeah, still, it, still going to need those good horses and good horsemen training them. Yeah, and eight years later, the South Africans' horses, are, they're just getting better and better. So that's going to be a different World Cup for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lucy, can you predict the final score Score of the final of the next book. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, not. That is a question just, my brother asked me, and I would get the, I would give him nothing. <laughs> you, ha- you have to visualize it, but you're just keeping it to yourself, right? <laughs> uh, no, honestly, no. He is the most, Jim is like hypothetical man, and he goes for, and he will not give up until he gets the answer that he wants. So I've learned in over the time to just give him the answer that he wants. So if you tell me what you want me to say, I'll tell you. But I'll- <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a psychological profile in all the Africans? Is he working me? on things? No, he, Jimmy. Oh, he does. Oh, Jim. Jim has a psychological profile on everything. <laughs> I don't know. He, must, he spends a lot of time in... <laughs> he comes up with some fantastic hypothetical questions i'm like mate if that happens pigs will fly on the same day <laughs> he's prepared for it though yeah he sure is you've got to admire that i guess it's been an hour and a half went fast thank you so much have you if you've been listening to my podcast are there things that i've been saying that you're like you know murph you're an idiot stop saying that i disagree jane's already got an opinion so i'm just curious <laughs> I look up to I look up to you, Jane, and I feel like if you want to reprimand me or call me out, you can. No, no, I'm good. I I have heard you say a couple of times um, you've maybe alluded to the fact that the number two position is not as important as other positions. No, I didn't. Whereas, no. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> okay. I said I want to be a better two. If if I'm on the next World Cup team, it's going to have to be as a two. I don't really have a choice. I um I'm a firm believer that in a in equal teams or even in close teams, the team with the best number twos will win the game. Oh yeah, definitely um, never said that. It's the easiest position to play, but it is the hardest position to play well. Yeah. Um and it and it decides games, I believe. All right. So that was misinformation. You misheard me. <laughs> no, sometimes I just get people talking and it may have come across that way yeah i i I would like to be a better too for sure all right awesome well thank you thanks a lot we'll do this again for sure we'll bring some other people on 
<laughs> thanks very much, Ryan. I've really enjoyed it. And thanks, Lucy, for coming on board and thanks chatting. Um, you're, you're my favourite and you're my future of Australian women's polycross and keep doing what you're doing with your 365 and your girls talk and um, you're a real inspiration to the young girls and us old girls as well. So yeah. keep exactly. going. I've got a lot to ODU. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, it just couldn't have been better. I mean, to have Jane, you and Jane, it's just, yeah, I'm so thankful. So, um, all right, you guys stay safe and we'll be in touch and, uh, yeah, keep on rocking and rolling. <laughs> thanks, Ryan. Good to chat. See all right. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. What a treat it was to share that time with Jane and Lucy. They are the champions of champions. They failed, but they found a way to overcome and to perfect every single aspect of their game. They are truly the one percenters in our sport. I'm really in awe of these two ladies. The best players in polo cross are mentally tough over-prepare, and harness their passion for the joy of the sport. Cheers to you, Jane and Lucy. Thanks a lot. Here on Chugga Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the Send Voicemail Sidebar button on PoloCrossMadeSimple.com. For more Polacross coaching, go to PolacrossMadeSimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one. <laughs>